fueled by C4, Cellucor, and Extend. Use the code Clydesdale to get 20% off the checkout at C4Energy.com. On Clydesdale Media, where we bring you the widest array of content here on our YouTube channel. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Hit that notifier so you first know when new episodes are available. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Clydesdale Media Podcast. My name is Scott Schweitzer. I am the Clydesdale, and I am so honored and privileged to have with me Hannah Black. Hannah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? You? I'm good. So I met you at the Pasadena North America West semifinals. I got to interview you right after uh, event one, and I'm actually going to play that for our listeners real quick. Just yeah, of course. So- so we can kind of kick it off with uh, one of the big highlights of your weekend. So it just takes me a couple clicks to get there and we will share that. So with Hannah Black, uh, just winner of heat one, event one, um, that went really well for you. Did you, was, were you anticipating that coming in? Um, I knew if I held my paces and just pulled the sled as hard as I could that it would it would work out but the weird thing was that the sled was a lot easier going that way than it was coming this way so it's like going that way was almost a rest and then coming this way was like really dig your feet in how does that set up the rest of the weekend um started off with a bang um i got nothing to lose so i'm gonna send it the whole weekend all right thank you very much good luck the rest of the weekend so what i want to start with is you came into this competition seated essentially out of out of being able to come you were 62nd you got a fill to come to semifinals and you start your weekend with a third place finish (laughs) it was yeah it was definitely definitely um, a surreal experience with you know coming in we didn't even know if they would backfill or not um so i was kind of like teetering on the fence of you know am i gonna am I going to go? Am I not going to go? Um, what does that mean? And I had also done team quarterfinals. Um, if funny enough, my team was also right on the line. I think we finished 41st and they took 40 teams. So it was like, um, yeah, I could go with team. I could go individual. And so finally, when I got that, uh, individual uh, opportunity, I had 24 hours to accept. And so I knew that team or doing team was comfortable for me. Um, and that I had never done an individual competition before an individual scared me a little bit. And that's exactly why I had to choose it. So that leads me perfectly into my next piece. I was walking down the street in Pasadena on Thursday and a very good friend of mine is Chase Long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Chase came up to me and I, we did, we did our normal like hellos and, gratuities and all that and he's like dude watch for hannah black (laughs) and i was like really and he goes yeah she is really good nobody's talking about her but she's going to be somebody this weekend and i was like okay and so there you you were event one and uh, i got to interview you right after because chase gave me the heads up uh to take to make sure i was watching out for you no way. Yeah. Chase is one of the guys who I train with uh, pretty consistently. He's on the Carhu team that 
I did quarterfinals with and then ended up going with Carhu to semifinals. He's he's awesome. He's been a great competitor to have in the gym with me. So I want to talk about that because you competed with him last year. Um, so I competed against him um, in TFX. That's how I, I found out about Carhu. But I was living in Santa Barbara last year during the season. Okay. Okay. So that's what, okay. My, yeah, my notes say team this year too. That's so that's what it was. You were on a different team last year, and then right. you, you did the qualifiers with Karu this year, right? Okay, so Chase is one of the nicest guys I've ever met, right? And for sure, I like training with him every day, and someone who's been around the CrossFit space for such a long time. He is, he's so well put together and he's very, um, conscious and, and deliberate in his efforts in the gym. And that's something that I definitely look up to. Um, he just has this kind of like calmness about him, even when everyone else is not calm. Um, so it's, it's really cool to watch him and see him in certain situations because I definitely look up to him. Um, he was like a huge uh, leader on our team. Um, cause I did train with the team for a really long time leading up to quarterfinals. Um, because that was the original plan was for me to go team with them. Um, and so just, you know, watching him just take things with such grace and, and, um, even when, you know, workouts weren't going our way, he was just able to, you know, be very calm and, and figure out a plan. And that's definitely something that, I need to work on. And so watching him do that has been super beneficial for me. So you said that you, you had your two options. One was comfortable. One was uncomfortable. Did you seek counsel or was it, was it all pretty much on you to make the decision team or individual? Um, yeah. So I talked to a few people about it because there was um, a solid two weeks of, you know, like not knowing what was going to happen. Um, and that was a very, very long two weeks. Um, so I talked to my coach, Andy, at Carhu about the situation because back um, when he was training CrossFit full-time, he went to regionals a few times as an individual and then a few times with a team. So he had been on both sides of, of the coin of that. And I kind of told him, I was like, I think going individual, even though it wasn't what we planned for, would be an incredible experience for me um to grow as an athlete um because in crossfit on a team it's just like you're out there with your three best friends who you train with every day um and it just felt very safe to me because i'd done multiple larger scale competitions on a team um and i had never competed in crossfit as an individual and so having that opportunity um, and having semifinals be my first individual competition was a huge, huge honor. And I, I knew in my head, once I got that individual invitation, that that was going to be what was best for me to grow and learn and um, kind of be thrown into this CrossFit space as an individual. And so I knew, even though it made me extremely nervous, that that was the one that I had to go with. So I'm going to rewind us quite a bit back to East Carolina. So yeah. the other thing I have to tell you is you have a very common name. So verifying the right hand of black can, can be right. scary and all that for someone that's going to interview her soon. <laughs> so, um, I found you East Carolina where mm -hmm. you studied um, undergrad health, fitness, 
and then graduate biomechanics and motor con- motor control. Yep, that's it. Uh, you graduated cum laude at your undergrad. You graduated did, with yeah. nine GPA in your graduate studies. And you worked for the university as a TA and yep. a researcher. Yep. I got, I had the best um, undergrad and graduate experience at East Carolina. And I actually did my graduate thesis on Isabel. Um, so high intensity weightlifting and what fatigue does to technique, which was super insightful. So yeah, what I saw in your student spotlight was that you did something on weightlifting. They did not say Isabel in your, in your spotlight because non-crossfitters probably don't know. Yeah. What right. Um, so anyway, my question to you is, did you do your, your thesis on Isabel because you loved CrossFit or doing your thesis made you fall in love with CrossFit? So I had weightlifted in high school and had been around CrossFit for a little bit. I, I wouldn't call myself a CrossFitter at that time. Um, I would jump into class every now and then if it looked fun and there was a heavy barbell. Um, but then I think when I really started to fall in love with CrossFit was probably around my sophomore year of college. Um, I had briefly played volleyball for East Carolina. And when I decided that I didn't want to do that moving forward, I knew that I wanted to be competitive in something. And I tried to go back to Olympic weightlifting because I had done that in high school, but I just didn't get the same feel from it anymore. It felt like a chore instead of something that I got to do. And so there were a lot of kids my age uh, doing CrossFit. And I had always said back in my weightlifting days, I was like, I'll never do CrossFit. Like, I'll never do that. Um, and one of them was like, you should come try CrossFit. Um, just give it like a month and, and see what you think. And I was like, ah, okay, fine. So I started doing CrossFit and I was still very much like, a class goer like I would I would pick the workout like the day that I wanted to go based off the workout and uh you know show up for class and leave you what we call that cherry picking exactly that was 100% me if it was like anything more than you know a 200 meter run I was like probably not gonna see me that day (laughs) but um yeah. And then one of my friends who went to the same gym started following a competition program. So much more volume, you know, a lot more time in the gym. And he asked me to do it with him. And I was like, absolutely not. Um, that looks terrible. And then I watched him do it, you know, like from the sidelines for probably like two weeks and he was getting his butt kicked. And then something in my head was like, yeah, that's what I have to do next. So started doing that with him. Um, and followed a couple different competition programs with him throughout uh, the rest of my undergrad and then through grad school um, and then started competing here and there for fun. Um, And then I think like, so doing my thesis on Isabel was really cool just because I was from a weightlifting background. So I understood weightlifting from like the Olympic lifting standpoint of like a one rep max and you know, like making everything perfect and going slow and really taking your time to hit positions. And then when I started doing CrossFit, obviously um, there is a, you know, like a give and take of how you move the barbell depending on your ultimate goal. And so it's, it's very different between a one rep max and barbell cycling. Um, so different that, you know, in my thesis, one of the points that I made was um, 
we need to spend more time on teaching people how to barbell cycle. It's not enough for them to know how to one rep max snatch or one rep max clean and jerk because there are a lot of things that change. Um, and if you're aware of those changes and you train to lift like that, then that's awesome. Um, but when, you know, like injuries happen when you don't train certain positions and I was a huge advocate of let's train all positions so that if you do find yourself in a bad position, it's not the end of the world. Very interesting. So is, is that, is that where the motor control comes in, in your graduate program? Like the repetitive motion, the goal is to have the same motion every time. Right. But right. Brings, we fatigue all that kind of stuff happens. Was, was that something you dove into with your thesis? So I did a lot of, um, you know, like angle measurements and body position measurements. Um, and so basically the, the variables that I tested for, so I used motion capture, which is um, a series of cameras that use uh, small like reflective dots. And you can see where those dots are um, in 3D space and you can track the movements and the changes of those dots. And so some of my like key um, variables that I tested for was, um, so the lift at the start when the barbell's on the ground right before you lift it, um, when the barbell passed the knee and then where the barbell was when you received it. Um, and so basically what we saw, and, and this is typical, you probably could have guessed it, is that off the floor, um, at the beginning of the workout, people were able to, you know, maintain um, an upright torso for the most of it. Um, and then pretty quickly on in Isabel, you start to see, you know, the knee angle um, increase and the hip angle decrease, basically just lifting with your legs. Um, and the funny thing was I did my study as well. So I was a participant in the study and I knew exactly what I was looking for. And I knew that I was trying to make every rep look the same. Um, and I still did it too. So I, I still basically, um, shot my hips up, um, more or less did a snatch grip RDL to start <laughs> the snatch and then finished with it overhead. And I think, um, that's kind of when it like changed in my head is like, okay, we know that you would want to, um, maintain your, your back angle in a one rep max snatch, because obviously you don't want to put that much pressure on your back if you're lifting at a very heavy load. Whereas it's doing Isabel is much different because in my study, I used 60% of everyone's one rep max, um, power snatch so that the weight was, um, a similar effort for everyone. So I didn't hold the, the CrossFit, um, weight but I wanted everyone to feel comfortable in the weight that they chose um, so that they could try to maintain some sort of um, technique. But honestly, so we, we learned there's no possible way that you could do 30 snatches um, the exact same way that you would do a one rep max snatch. Um, so some things have to give, a lot of people don't move their feet um, when they do Isabel, they basically are just putting, <laughs> picking the bar up, putting it down, um, hips stay higher, just things like that. And um, in my opinion, as like a competitive CrossFitter now, I wouldn't try to make those 30 repetitions look like my one rep max snatch because it's um, a waste of time. Like I, I wouldn't win Isabel in a competition if I did that. So it was, it was kind of like figuring out where you could trade off some sort of like traditional technique um, for speed and, and what was safe, what wasn't. And, and, you know, like you can never really define that, but um, 
it's it's based off of the individual, but it was a very interesting study for sure. How many people went like total muscle snatch? Um, I would say a, a decent amount of them, especially the ones that got the fastest times. Cause I had, I had a really wide range of participants. Like I had people who I would consider like elite level CrossFitters. Then I had people who had been doing CrossFit for a long time and had been snatching for a long time. But I, I would say like are probably somewhere in the middle. And then I had some people who, um, started CrossFit no less than like six months before the, um, study. And so, yeah, what I found is the guy with the fastest time, um, didn't move his feet, um, did it unbroken. And yeah, I don't think he rebent his knees a single time after the bar passed his hips. Yeah. I've been doing CrossFit since 2011. When it breaks down for me, it's total muscle snatch. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, that's what we saw. And so, um, and again, like he walked off, he was like, all right, that was a great warm up. I'm going to go do my workout now. <laughs> so it's like, it didn't affect him one bit. Um, and so it's, it's just interesting to hear the people outside of the CrossFit space saying like, Oh, that's bad. Like you're letting your hips shoot up. You're lifting with your back, but that's literally like more or less the objective of that workout. If you want to win it. Um, and, and you've seen, I'm sure like the fastest Isabel times, that's what people do. And if you're strong in those positions, because you train those positions in your training to be able to efficiently barbell cycle, then, then you're fine. Yeah. I think it was at 2015. Randy was one of the regional workouts and everybody mm -hmm. was muscle. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it was, and it, it almost gave CrossFitters a bad name in the sports outside of CrossFit. Right. Because right looked pretty right and i mean i'll be the first to say at semifinals in linda i my deadlifts looked way more like rdls than deadlifts um and that's a typical like pattern that i um resort to when i'm tired in a workout um and that weight was um you know like a moderate weight but not heavy enough to where i had to really reset in between each rep um and that's just kind of the name of the game i think the people who were you know the fastest at that workout were able to speed through the deadlifts um more or less um looking a little bit more like an rdl and i'll say that's the first thing that i go to for sure so one thing that i noticed immediately on upon meeting you is you are taller than the normal crossfitter yes <laughs> by a decent amount say that again it, it makes sense you were a volleyball player yeah <laughs> right right so, i i'm not as familiar with the olympic lifting world does that affect you as an Olympic lifter as much as 100%? Yeah. Unfortunately, having long femurs like I do and like other tall girls do um, is not a good base for Olympic lifting. Um, it makes, you know, like the pull off the floor very long. Um, whereas like you'll see some of the um, most famous and like most decorated Olympic lifters have short legs and long torsos. So unfortunately I have the opposite of that. I have pretty long legs and like a medium sized torso. Um, and so, yeah, that definitely was something that uh, a lot of people would say to me when I was uh, first lifting in high school, like, Oh, you don't really fit the build of an Olympic weightlifter. And I was like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. I'm also the only girl in this gym right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I got a lot of that uh, growing up in Olympic weightlifting, and I do get it a lot in CrossFit too. But I'm I'm hoping that 
um, you know, the more that I train and, and trying to like fill some gaps that I have that I can show that there's not just like one size of a CrossFitter. Um, and that like you have people like Laura Horvath, like out there absolutely crushing it. And she's definitely bigger than the normal CrossFit girl. And I think, um, you got to play your strengths. And as long as you don't have like too big of a hole in your weaknesses, then, then you can make it work. So you're about the same height as Annie. Yes. Yeah. I'm like five, nine. She's, she's done. Okay. Right. (laughs) She's done 100%. Yeah. Just not, not the typical, um, body structure. Yeah. So, um, one that, one other thing about the motion stuff, do you know, Stacy Larum? We competed against her in Pasadena. I know the name for sure. Yeah. So she does the same. She does motion motion capture for the Boston Red Sox. That's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, you guys have a connection that you could definitely. um, That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. A couple of, um, a couple of the guys that I graduated with from my graduate program went on to work in the um, MLB, which is really cool. Yeah, she does all the stats for pitching for them. Okay. Yeah, my um, my brother played baseball at the university that I went to, East Carolina. And so him and a couple of his buddies came back and we measured their pitching mechanics. Um, and that was really cool because baseball, just like CrossFit, lends itself to biomechanics really easily because pitching is like a closed chain um event so you can measure like a lot just like weightlifting um closed chain like we know exactly what's going to happen if, if you do it right and you make the lift um and that lends itself um very easily to be measured in biomechanics and um that's one of the reasons why i chose isabel is because the snatch is so multifaceted there's so many things that i um could measure and i cast a huge net with variables and got just like thousands and thousands of data points. Like I honestly, like I could pull it up right now and probably find a new trend that um, I didn't have time to look for when I was in grad school, but it's, it's just a really cool um, way to break things down. And, and there are a lot of things in CrossFit lend, lend themselves to be measured really easily. And, and one of the reasons why I chose to do CrossFit or we had to kind of rebrand it as high intensity weightlifting um, was because I wanted to shed more light on how CrossFit isn't this like big dangerous thing that people talk about. I think um, when people who don't, you know, like aren't involved in CrossFit and aren't very well educated on, on what it actually is, it's really easy to say like, oh, people get hurt all the time. And like, you're lifting with terrible forms. Like if you look further than that, like CrossFit is, you know, preparing you for anything that could possibly happen in life. Like a, a good example that I use with some of my clients is like, when they ask me why they're deadlifting, I'm like, do you want to be able to pick something up off the ground? Like when I have them do burpees, I'm like, do you want to get up off the ground if you fall down? Like it's, it's, it's very easy, um, translated into everyday life. And I wanted more people to know about it because I think it's an incredible way to train an incredible way to prepare yourself for, you know, getting older and, um, being self-sufficient. And I just wanted to shed some more light on it. So I, I echo that completely because I've hurt my back a lot. Never, never in the gym. Right. Right. So that makes sense. Use bad form in CrossFit. I use terrible form picking up laundry baskets. Right. And <laughs> that's when I throw my back out. Not, not in the gym. Cause in the gym, 
I'm set up. I know I'm lifting a heavy weight. I know exactly. I'm, you're ready for it. That laundry basket, you know, <laughs> over half sideways. Right. Exactly. Um, one of our listeners, Corey, he said, I'm here with short legs and a long torso and terrible Olympic lifts. <laughs> well, unfortunately, those aren't the only two things that you need to be a good Olympic weightlifter. <laughs> you need a lot, a lot of things to go right. Um, but anatomically speaking, if you have a shorter pull off the ground um, and a longer torso, then that lends you to be built a little bit better than Olympic weightlifting compared to someone who has really long legs and a short torso. Yeah, crazy. So, and yeah, we, there's so many different body types. Like I think we're right. getting to the point where like Brent Fikowski has overcome a lot. Um, right, right. A lot of outliers. Colton Mertens has made his third straight CrossFit games. So we have outliers yep. on both sides of the spectrum. 100%, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, yeah, you, I mean, you find different ways to train. Like um, when I was in my internship doing sports biomechanics and we had seven foot tall basketball guys, we usually never let them deadlift from the floor because they're just not anatomically set up to be good at that. Um, and so you always have to find, like there's a give and take on, how you train certain people and you have to remember like the outcome as well. Like um, these guys were training for the NBA draft. Like there's no need for them to deadlift off the floor that that's, it's not um, pertinent to their NBA career. Um, but we do want to build explosiveness and we do want to build strength. So we would set them up a little bit higher. So I think um, biomechanics um, and using it to measure you know, things in CrossFit just goes to show like there's no one way to do something like my Olympic lifts look much different than someone who's a foot shorter than me. One of my teammates on the Carhu team, Taylor Palm, she's like a whole foot shorter than me. And we do things very differently. And she found, you know, the best, most efficient way um, to lift the barbell. And, and so do I. And unfortunately, she can cycle way faster than me. She has like a foot less to pull the bar. But um, yeah, same same outcome, different ways to do it. Yeah. How does, how does the worm work on that situation? <laughs> so she was in the middle and I was at the end. So it was kind of like um, a little bit of like a U shape. The boys on our team were, were decently tall, but it was, it's so funny because like anytime we would have to share a pull-up bar, um, she would either have to jump like a whole foot or I would have to pick her up or I would like have to risk like basically like hitting my feet on the floor every time I <laughs> um, came through the bar. But yeah, it's, it's funny because our, our cycle times like for pull-ups, toes to bar, all that stuff were just like so wildly off in the beginning that I had to slow down a little bit and she had to speed like way up. So it was, it was, um, an interesting time there, but we figured it out. Yeah. And, and Chase is fairly tall for a male in the sport. Right. Chase um, and I are very similar, um, in height. I think he's only like a couple inches taller than me. So we would do a lot of synchro stuff together. Yeah. That makes complete sense. So then you, you graduate and you go to variant lab, variant training lab in Santa Barbara. Yep. And yeah, so I, I, I had an internship out of grad school. I'm sorry. Say that again. Go ahead. You're good. Keep going. 
Um, so yeah, I took an internship out of grad school at a place called Peak Performance Project in Santa Barbara. And that was where I was working with some pre-draft MBA guys. Um, so that internship was a little bit more on the coaching side, a little less biomechanics. And then I took a job at Variant Training Lab as the biomechanics specialist. And so what that entailed was um, our facility was owned by a physical therapist um, and he owned the physical therapy clinic right beside our facility. And basically um, it was a great business model. Um, what he would do is there would be people coming off of like huge, like life altering um, injuries and, and huge surgeries. They would go to his physical therapy clinic and um, I don't know how much you know about like physical therapy uh, protocols, but a lot of them would finish their physical therapy and be like, what do I do now? Like, there's no way I'm, I'm back to 100%. Like I, I am still have a ton of things to work on a ton of strength to build. And so we would recommend them to come to variant and, and how it would work is they would come in and see one of our physical therapists and go through a physical therapy, like head to toe kind of um, evaluation. And the physical therapist would then pass them off to me um, in the biomechanics lab and say, this person just got their, you know, ACL reconstructed and we want to test um, their lower leg strength and to figure out like, okay, so their, their leg that um, wasn't injured, the unaffected leg um, is at X amount of um, strength and their affected leg, the one that they just had reconstructive surgery on is 60% weaker than their um, unaffected leg. And so I would use technology like a Biodex machine that measure, or measures muscular strength and, and other things like um, movement screens and tests and things like that to kind of um, quantify um, what they needed help with. And then we would take that information and build um, a like subject specific training protocol for them. And so for ACL rehab patients, it was a lot of um, BFR, so blood flow restriction training, a lot of really small um, movements to gain back that strength in the leg. And then month after month, they would come back to me and I would retest and they would like slowly close that strength gap. And then if they were an athlete, we would do like back to sport protocol. If they were, you know, gin pop, we would just try to make those um, legs as, as similar um, as they were before they got the surgery. So it was, it was a great job, very rewarding, um, an incredible first job for me to have out of grad school. So this, this is wildly fascinating to me. One, you are super intelligent and I love that you. this. Um, two, you say gen pop and then you have like elite athletes and you worked right. with. Right. Yeah. I had the privilege of working with, um, a very broad span of, of clientele. So ranging from guys that, you know, got drafted in the first couple of rounds of the NBA draft ranging to, you know, like, um, a mid 60 year old woman who had both knees replaced. Um, so it was, it was, um, it was a really cool experience just because working with elite level athletes is, is an incredible, incredible experience because it's so rewarding when, when they're able to, you know, go off into the NBA and, and be incredible. And then also like, uh, with the general population people, they were there, you know, basically because they wanted to regain strength to do everyday life things. And, and when they closed that gap, that was equally rewarding just in a different way of like saying like, I'm self-sufficient again, like I don't need someone to help me 
you know, around the house, like I can walk, um, without stopping for X amount of feet. And like, that was, that was huge too. So it's, it's, it's all in like the little wins and, and working with those, um, broad spectrum people was, was so rewarding. It sounds eerily familiar to a CrossFit gym. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, cause I, I have my one I've coached in the past before I started doing this media thing. Like you're working with some people who have a shot at making the games all the way to, um, we had people in our gym, 70 years old, um, just there to live a better life. Right. I think the CrossFit, um, community and the way that it brings people together who would never have been, you know, like friends or even acquaintances, um, outside of those walls is, is such an incredible experience. And having that in college was oh my gosh, like incredible because I would go back to, you know, like the dorms or wherever I was where there was only college kids. And, um, you know, it's very typical, like going to class, talking about, you know, what college kids talk about. And then I would go into the gym and and one of my friends who was an adult would be like, Hey, how's your day going? Like, are you doing good? And I'm like, Whoa, no one has asked me that in the last like two weeks. Like the only person who asked me that on a daily basis is my mom. And so like, you know, meeting people who are in different phases of life than you, but you also get to share this um, group experience of, of suffering more or less. Um, it is such a cool experience. And, you know, having adult friends in college was so good for me um, because they, you know, like kind of took me under their wing and like they would invite me to their house for dinner. And I, my friends would be like, oh, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to get a home cooked meal. Like, um, you guys have fun in the dining hall, but I'm going to go <laughs> eat a steak. And so it was, it was a great experience. And, and the people that I met in my first CrossFit gym and any of the CrossFit gyms that I've been to, like I still keep in touch with, and it's a really cool experience to have that. And I think, yeah, once you suffer with someone and you're laying on the ground, like barely breathing and they're doing the same, we just did the same workout. Like that's such a cool experience. And I love the way that CrossFit brings people together. I think when you're in college, Home-cooked meals are worth more than money. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. That's really cool that people invited you into their homes. And that is the way a CrossFit gym is, right? Um, it's, it's, bigger, it's bigger than people outside the space can understand. Exactly. So we, we, I'm going to dive back into CrossFit a little bit and your performance over the weekend but I, I need to know how you got from Santa Barbara to Austin. So um, I'd been living in Santa Barbara a little less than two years. And I was um, kind of just figuring out my next step in life. I learned very quickly that I am not a office, like eight to five type girl. Um, and so even though I absolutely love my job um, and what I did, it was very hard for me to stay, you know, like in one place for that amount of time. Um, Cause I had always been in more of like a hands-on setting where I kind of made my own schedule. And so I knew that was something that I really um, wanted to do in the future. And so I kind of started looking at other opportunities and other um, jobs available to me. Um, and I ended up finding um, a gig kind of like helping someone write a strength and conditioning certification. Um, 
that would have been remote. And so I did that for a little while and um, decided, you know, like I could do that from anywhere. And my sister lived in Austin, Texas, and I had visited her and loved it. I had competed against the Carhu team and TFX the year before and talked to them a little bit um, and just kind of said like, oh, my sister lives here. Like, um, you know, like if I ever come and visit, I'll, I'll drop into your gym. And so I ended up doing that. Um, probably like six months before I decided I wanted to move and I loved their gym um loved the community like it reminded me a lot of the gym that I started CrossFit in and so I think just things just kind of kept adding up and and I decided that California wasn't where I was supposed to be anymore and so I I made the I made the move and moved in with my sister in Austin um found Carhu um found the couple of coaching jobs that I have now I work for um on it, which is in Austin. And then I also work for another gym called athletic outcomes. And then on the side, I work for NOCO, um, doing demos and things. And so I, I kind of just, everything lined up to where I could come to Austin and, um, give this CrossFit thing like a real chance. Um, and I jumped on my first opportunity. When you made that move, when you say CrossFit, this CrossFit thing, a chance, was that as a team or did you have aspirations to go into the gym? Um, I think in my head, I was going to give team, like I was 100% sold on team. And I thought that, um, you know, moving to Austin was, was um, a safe bet just because there's so many CrossFit gyms here. There's so many athletes, so many people. I was like, there's, I'm bound to find um, the people who I want to be on a team with and in the gym that I want to do that at. And so, yeah, I definitely especially since I moved in October, which is not an ideal time in the season to move um, because it like the open comes up like a few months after that. And then, you know, like things are basically solidified going from there. Um, I had, yeah, I 100% in my mind known that like team was my way to go this year. Um, whether or not I would have like uh, dabbled in individual the year next or like the coming year, um, I didn't know yet, but I definitely was sold for team. Um, for the 2023 season. So when you competed at TFX against uh, Karu, was it in 22, January of 22? Yes. Okay. I was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where I met Chase. Yeah. So they, they ended up winning. We ended up getting fourth by like a few points, which was um, sad, but yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Um, and then I, I actually did TFX this, um, couple of months ago, um, with my team from California. Um, and that was, that was a great experience as well. Um, a really good couple of teams, um, that we went up against and yeah, so I competed with that team and then the plan was from there to, to compete with the Carhu team. Okay. And then the best laid plans, um, you know, I know that you are strong in your faith, according to your Instagram. And 100%. God 100%. Yeah, I think it was it was kind of divine intervention at this point, because I'd had coaches in the past, my Santa Barbara coaches and, and a couple of other people tell me like, you need to go individual um, here, you're wasting your time with team because I'm someone who takes um, what I do very seriously. And so I don't do anything like halfway. I'm, I'm a 100% or nothing type of girl. And so it was going to be really hard to find three other people um, to do the same thing. And, and that was kind of like the, um, 
the problem I was running into because Santa Barbara was such a small uh, CrossFit community. There was only two gyms there and there weren't a ton of people that were willing to, you know, essentially put their lives on hold to make a shot at the CrossFit games. And so I ran into it there. And then when I got to Carhu, um, we were still kind of figuring out the whole team dynamic and like who was going to be on the team and um, what that looked like and how we would train and things like that. And um, funny enough, I was not going to do the individual qualifier um, for semifinals. I was only going to do team quarterfinals. But what um, what ended up happening is it's a funny story. So the TFX qualifiers and the Wadapalooza qualifiers this year fell on the same two weeks. And I will be completely honest, those were probably some of the worst two weeks of my life. Um, it just... I feel like one thing after another, you know, like didn't go my way, like um, the video would cut out on a qualifier or I would be absolutely wrecked um, and have to do two more qualifiers the next day. And it was, it was really stressful um, because I, I mean, I wanted to do my best and it was, it was really hard to do all of those qualifiers in the same two weeks um, and work and, you know, <laughs> maintain um, um, a life outside of the gym. And it was, it was really hard and it took a toll on me for sure. And so I told my coach, I was like, I hate qualifiers. They are the worst. And he was like, yeah, well, you're going to have to do a lot of them. So you should get used to them. And I was like, "Ugh." well, I know what that means. It's like, I should probably do the individual quarterfinals qualifier workouts. Um, and I want to do them exactly how they're written. I want to put tape on the floor. I want a judge. I want a camera rolling just so that I know my phone even has like 20 minutes of storage. Um, and so he was like, all right, well, if you're going to go through all of that, like, are you going to pay to put your name on the leaderboard? And I was like, probably not. <laughs> he was like, you are crazy if you don't do that. And so I kind of like wrestled with it a little bit. Um, cause if I didn't put my name on the leaderboard, then like that wasn't trying to make it anyway, but if I did and ended up, you know, like doing terribly, then that just kind of like solidified how terrible I did. And so I went back and forth and then finally I was like, you know what, like I'm doing the hardest parts. I'm measuring the floor, I'm weighing my weights, like all that stuff. I might as well just see where I stack up. Like if, if not this year for next year to see, you know, like what it looks like to try to be an individual. And so the first two workouts, we were just like very nonchalant about it's funny. Um, Cause like in my video, there are people like walking in front of me um, and like, you know, it's just like, we were very chill about the first two workouts because again, it was just, um, just an experience for me. It, it wasn't my goal to go as an individual. And then I think the third workout with the burpee box jumps and the clean and jerks um, came out. And I, I obviously loved that one. Um, and when I finished that workout, my score was entered. I jumped from like a pretty low spot up to like, I think like 64th. And I was like, when I saw that, I was like, wait a second. Like I'm, I'm like within striking distance, like this could actually be a thing. Um, and so that's when me and my coach kind of had a meeting and we were like, okay, we definitely need to reevaluate how we're approaching this and let's actually like give it our best shot. And like, let's strategize. Let's talk about, you know, how you're going to do the last couple of workouts and figure out what's best for you. And so then I think we started to see that like, it could be a possibility that I could go as an individual. Um, and we took the last couple uh, workouts a little bit more seriously. Um, and then when I um, finally, like the scoreboard was solidified, it was, it was nerve wracking. Cause I jumped from, I think 
62nd down to like 56 at one point because like people's videos were getting docked and like all this crazy stuff and so I kept moving like every single day and then finally the scoreboard was solidified and I got 62nd um but then my coach was like I'm pretty sure that means you're going to make it because there's no possible way all 60 people are going to accept because I even knew a couple of girls personally that were going to deny that to go team anyway um and so that's when I was like oh my gosh like I think I accidentally made it, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it got like much more real um, in the following weeks. So that, that begs the question, do you perform better not stressed or did, does the stress help you get better? Um, I think it probably goes hand in hand. Um, I had like a almost like a surreal like calmness at semifinals um, because I went in and like I I mean I, I constantly prayed throughout like the whole weekend just saying like you know what like God you got me here like I would not have been here um, on my own and show me like what you want me to get out of this experience and um, at the more that it unfolded and I think definitely going in with a I didn't even expect to be here type attitude uh, was incredible for me because I was able to approach those workouts. Like whatever I do out here is just extra. Like even just being here is, is huge for me. So anything that I do that like moves me up a spot on the leaderboard or gets me some points, that's just extra. And I had like um, kind of this just like supernatural sense of like calmness from, you know, praying about it and just saying like, whatever you have for me um, is what, I want to experience and, and it was a great experience. So it's gotta be, it's gotta be surreal because you come in, nobody's, nobody's really talking about you. Right. Chase was, um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, bam, you're in third place after event one. Right. Yeah. I, then, I honestly, yeah, I didn't think that that score was going to hold. Um, Cause I, I knew I'd won my heat and that was awesome. That was super cool. Um, you know, didn't expect to do that, but I was like, okay, like, it's just, it's just the first heat. Like, we'll see like what everybody else gets. Um, and then it ended up, you know, sticking. Yeah. It stuck and it had a run longer than 200 meters. So you could, you yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you would have told me that, that, um, that was going to be one of my best or second best workout of the whole um, event. And it had a 2000 meter air runner in the middle of it. I would have been like, you are insane. But I will say running was one of the things that I worked on so much leading up to semifinals. And, and we knew in that workout, like I wasn't going to win it on the run, um, but I could definitely lose it there. And so knowing that um, in my head, knowing that, you know, like, a huge chunk of that workout was going to be on the air runner. Um, I'm kind of just staying calm and I am like a numbers person. So my coach told me like the exact pace he wanted me to go at, like in between like two numbers basically. And I, I held that pace for the whole time, which was, um, you know, the plan and it, it went perfectly because then I was able to pull the sled a little faster and, and set me up to be in a pretty good spot. So then you go to event two which from an outsider's perspective would not be your strong event. Right. Right. You right. Right. Started off really strong. And then yeah. the muscle ups kind of went away at the end. Right. That's, that's been, um, 
very um, typical for me in training is um, I can handle muscle ups at the beginning of a workout and I'm um, pretty explosive with my hips and can turn over pretty well and then you know like the longer the workout um goes the the tighter I get and and things start to fall apart a little bit but I honestly I had done better in that one in training um so not getting back to the box um that third round was definitely um you know like upsetting for me but honestly I just kind of had to like take a step back after that workout and remind myself like the athlete that I was that time last year I don't even know if I could do a single ring muscle up with a backpack on who knows. I have no idea what would have happened. And so just to know that I'd made so much progress in the short amount of time um, that I had been in Austin, um, just honestly, like I could, there's no way that I could have been upset about that um, just because it's night and day, um, you know, like my efficiency on the rings from a year ago to now. So Corey's asking a question. Uh, Scott, does she follow a particular program or does her coach program for her? So, yeah, I follow my coach, Andy um, St. Germain's program um, 100%. So he he's our competitor coach out of uh, CrossFit Yakarhu and he um, writes everyone's program and he gives me a little bit more like one-on-one help uh, when I need it. So my next question is, how long did it take you to learn to pronounce Yakaru? <laughs> honestly I went there for probably a solid month and said it wrong I was pronouncing the J and one day it was Chase he was like say the name of our gym and I, I said Jokaru and he was like I can't believe you <laughs> so yeah um definitely uh learned that one pretty quick after that so yeah Yakaru um and I mean some sometimes we just say Karhu to shorten it up make it a little bit easier for people <laughs> Yeah, um, it always makes me nervous when I see it written down. Right. <laughs> you know. So I yeah, I understand that one. So then you come off of that event and, and you you finish 40th. I went mm-hmm. like that's kind of damage control, right? And right. And and you know the next couple are gonna be good for you. One hundred percent. I was so excited for Saturday. So, so excited. So Saturday on fire. Linda which is, which with your long levers could be <laughs> tricky, but you right. awesome. I loved Linda. And honestly, I was so pumped that it was dumbbells and not a barbell for the bench. Um, because I think there's definitely um, an aspect of skill in the way that you pick the dumbbells up um, so that you can start with your arms extended. And um, I didn't really bench much in high school growing up. Um, I played softball and, and the strength and conditioning program that we followed, um, said not to, to bench much if you were a throwing sport athlete. And so I didn't have a ton of experience with that. And then when Linda got released and it was with 60 pound dumbbells, um, I was a little nervous just because I, I knew I didn't really know how to do that yet, but we spent a ton of time honestly more than anything just like statically holding the dumbbells and like just getting them in the position that I wanted them and that helped a ton um and so finally figuring out how to you know like set the dumbbells on my knees and then lean back and like have my arms extended um once I figured that out um I knew that that was going to be a great workout uh because I I feel like I'm I'm not going to miss a deadlift 
I ended up actually getting a no rep for one of the squat cleans um, because I think I dropped it before I had like shown control at the top. Um, but I wasn't going to miss another squat clean. But the only thing that could have been like a little iffy is like what I did my dumbbell bench press sets in. And um, all throughout that workout, I was able to keep them unbroken and and start in a really good position um, off the knees. And I think that was the difference for sure. Yeah, that was awesome to watch. The people who got that down, like it was. Oh, yeah. And being so I was a former power lifter too. And okay. Ben, Benching is all biomechanics. If you're yeah, it's all about levers, it's all about distance. If you're in the right barbell path, it's it's gravy. If exactly. You're not, horrible. Exactly, and yeah, it's just all with like muscle recruitment and how you can be most efficient and things like that. And so, yeah, when I when you set yourself up in that good position with your arms locked out and you know like you're pressing through your heels and your core is tight, then they moved pretty quickly. Um, and I'm definitely got tired there in the middle and, and they got a little slower, but I was able to keep them unbroken, which was um, huge in that workout for sure. So yeah, that I had a blast doing Linda. Like I had so much fun. Well, we are, we are flying through this hour. I got it. Now we're going to show the big one, right? <laughs> the event win. Um, and this is my videographer, Teddy Williams captured this in Pasadena. And so here it is, 215 pounds, like butter. <laughs> How did that feel? Honestly, I was so excited to snatch um, because, you know, like you never know what the events are going to be. Um, you could go, you know, years without getting that one thing that you really want to see. And for it to be in my first semifinals um, and like a true, well, I had to run to get there, but more or less like a true one rep max snatch um, because it wasn't a complex. Like I didn't have to do a ton of stuff to get there um, was a dream come true. Honestly, I think it was a God thing. Um, so I'm so thankful for that. And um, it was funny because, so I opened at 205, which was not our original plan. Um, but we knew that it was in my best interest to really pace the 800 leading up to the snatch so that I was calm, like cool, collected, um, and could really actually like give it, um, a, a few good attempts. And so we decided to be a little more aggressive with my opener at 205. Um, cause I've, done weightlifting competitions and have my opener be like around 200 and so I was pretty confident in that and um so yeah the first bar to a five bar flew up probably was one of the best snatches I've ever done not wearing lifters um and then the 215 bar um got me on my toes just a hair um and but honestly like felt so light um I think I just was excited and, and pulled a little too fast off the ground and got me forward just a little bit, but honestly felt incredible. And then I knew when 215 felt like that, that I had to go for another attempt. Um, and I, I got um, a little bit of backlash uh, from people saying like, Oh, you don't need that last attempt. Like you already won the event. But number one, I didn't know that at the time, like I didn't know what girls behind me were lifting, nor was I going to take the time to look. Um, and then also someone in the warm-up area said that 215 had already been hit. So I was like, in my mind at that point, I was like, I really got to go for it. Um, 
And um, yeah, some people asked why I went for 230. And and the real answer was, is that I had hit 225 um, in training that Tuesday. And since we could only jump by five pounds, I was not going to match my PR. I was like, that's super lame. I'm not going for 225 again. I've already done that. Um, I'm going to go for 230. And unfortunately, I rushed it a little bit and I think I just overpulled a little bit and lost it behind. But honestly, in the weightlifting world, when you miss behind like that, you're supposed to go up. So I was, I was pumped. So you did something sneaky that I threw did. a lot of people off. And that is yeah. some change plates inside. inside. Yeah. So, so why? Um, honestly, so um i knew that bar math under pressure like that was going to be like super stressful and if, if you look at the um pictures that were taken i actually had like all my bar math like written on the inside of my arm <laughs> um and it wasn't even like math it was like literally like blue green white like and that's like what i needed to put on the bar to like make whatever weight i wanted um, and we had talked about it with my coach before, um, what the easiest way to load the bar would be. And it was to put the fives on the inside because I didn't want to have to keep taking them on and off the end of the bar. Um, so if I put the fives on the inside, it set me up where I could just add whites on the outside. Um, and they didn't say that we couldn't do it in the briefing. And so I was like, all right, that's my cue to do it then. And so, yeah, I got, got a bunch of pushback for that. Um, people saying like, you know, like I didn't actually lift the weight that was said and then someone appealed it at semifinals and like all this crazy stuff. And it just, honestly, like I didn't do it to be like sneaky or, you know, to, to try to pull one over. It just, it made the most sense. And we knew that I wasn't going to have a ton of time to load the bar. Um, and it was just one less thing to worry about. Yeah. It, it caused uh, havoc in the media area. <laughs> Um, My apologies. That's funny. Is everybody's like, well, it's not like about being, it can't be about being sneaky because they're announcing the weights. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like she's hiding anything. It was just so I didn't have to take it off um, and replace it with another weight. Yeah. It, may, it makes sense. But yeah, it was, it did through, did throw some people for quite a loop, but yeah, I, um, that was just, yeah, that was just so I could add whites at the end and not have to worry about taking it on and off. Yeah, totally get it. But I am telling you, it did cause such an uproar. <laughs> so I heard, yeah. <laughs> Even, yeah, yeah, someone someone appealed it at semifinals saying that I didn't lift that weight. <laughs> yeah, we heard that too. Um, so anyway, you get your first event win at semifinals, which is mm -hmm. a big deal. And then there's all this chaos around. Did any of that chaos take away from the joy that was winning the event? Um, no, honestly. So the only so thing, I thing I wish, um, I wish it was like a traditional, like one event. Um, cause that one you had, you know, your two minutes and then you had to go back to your start, uh, start mat and, and get ready for the next one. And it was funny. I was, I was so caught up in like what happened that I completely forgot the rep scheme of the next workout. And so someone has a video of me one of my really good buddies was on the medic team and was standing literally like three feet away from me. Thank, thank God. Like God placed him there for me for sure. And I like look over and I see him and like the clock is ticking down. And I was like, Tavis, Tavis, what am I supposed to do right now? And he was like, it's eight snatches. And then you run. And I was like, 
oh yeah okay right 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 and then like literally like 10 seconds goes by and then I'm out there snatching and running so yeah it was it was um quite the experience yeah and and then again you're back to running so right semifinals with two runs in it you can't cheer out yeah (laughs) it's that event in 31st Right. Yeah. Honestly, that was, that was a win for me. Um, we thought that the barbell was going to be a little bit more of a separator. Um, but everybody moved it just like I did super smooth, unbroken. Um, so I got almost no lead from that. And then it was really just, um, who can push harder, who can hurt more on this 800. And, um, yeah, honestly, I was, I was pretty happy with finishing middle of the pack on that one. Um, cause again, not really known for my running. And, um, I think it was, it was a good event for me, um, because there was a little bit of barbell, but again, like we thought that would be a little bit more of a separator, but just ended up, you know, being everybody doing a member again. So I'm, we're at the hour. I always promise my guests an hour maximum. Can I ask a few more questions? You have time? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. I want to respect your time. Of course. So then then you finish off the weekend and going into the final day, you're in a qualifying position. Right. Yeah. I sat in sixth, I believe after that. And then I have to ask the question, was it fatigue on Sunday or was it the way the events lined up? Um, we knew that Sunday was going to be, um, a harder day for me, for sure. Um, I'm notorious at not being very good at strict handstand pushups. Um, yeah, my biomechanics brain is like, you know, long arms, um, really heavy legs. That just doesn't really lend itself to be a great movement for me. And and that's not an excuse by any means. It's just something that I'm aware of. Um, and so we knew that workout six was, was going to be um, damage control and just like to do whatever I could do. And honestly, I'm sure from like, um, a spectator standpoint, they would look at my, um, you know, my performance in event six and be like, wow, she absolutely bombed that one. But honestly, I walked off the floor, like prouder than I've ever been. Um, there's 20 strict handstand pushups in that workout. And to even get to them, you had to do two seated legless rope climbs with a legless descent. And that quite literally could have been like my worst nightmare. Um, and so I worked my butt off leading up to semifinals and pulling and, and pushing strength. And honestly, I'm so proud that I got through the workout there as much as I did. Um, because I, um, you know, like knowing that there was 20 wall facing strict handstand pushups in that workout was terrifying to me for sure. Just because wall facing is not something that I had ever really done before this year, this season. And um, I kind of had to figure out how, you know, to approach that movement and, and especially in that type of like high pressure situation. And, and I walked off the floor as happy as I could be, honestly. Um, I, out of all the workouts, I was most anticipating that one and being able to get through all 20 of the handstand pushups and do another seated legless rope climb after that, I was over the moon about. Isn't it funny how the outsider may see it as your, your biggest failing of the weekend, but inside internally, it was your proudest moment. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's, it's all how you look at things. And I think again, like 
the athlete that I was a year ago. Um, i would had some shoulder issues in the past, um, probably stemming from playing volleyball for so long. Um, and so doing the strict handstand push-up movement um, really aggravated it. And so I stayed away from them for a while until I had to do them because um, I had been diagnosed with um, a shoulder impingement more than once, um, unfortunately. And so when training that movement, um, it was almost like guaranteed that my shoulder was going to hurt for a decent amount of time afterwards. And so that was, you know, kind of just part of the game, being smart about how you train them when you train them. And so just being able to know that I did 20 of those and like wall walking to get up there definitely adds some shoulder fatigue. Um, and then walked off the floor feeling fine. Um, was honestly like a dream come true because I had been, you know, um, straddling the line of how hard do I push and like, what's the payoff of that? Is my shoulder going to hurt for the next week, the next two weeks, the next three weeks, who knows? And um, so honestly, I was super proud of it and not for a second look at that workout or my performance in that workout as a failure. So then you go into the last event, which on paper, I would say would be a good event for you, power output. Um, Mm -hmm. was it one, was it a case of you had to go all out to for a shot? I I think so. And I mean, a lot of factors played into, you know, the last day of the competition and, and none of these are excuses. Like I, um, I did what I did and I, I narrowly missed out on the games my first season and that's awesome. But I will say like, I had, I woke up Sunday sick. Um, my lungs were on fire. I was coughing you know, couldn't breathe through my nose. And I'm sure many athletes had the same um, experience. I think just my CNS was absolutely trashed. And um, so, yeah, I got, woke up Sunday sick, not feeling really like myself. And so when it came time to really push the bike, which was what our strategy was on that workout, because we knew I would have to break toes to bar probably uh, faster than everyone else. Um, I just kind of like, I was like, all right, I'm going to rip the bike. Like it's going to, you know, like put a really high power output here. And it just didn't go like, <laughs> not even for a second. It just, I was like doing everything that I normally do to get the Watts up really high. And it, they just weren't there. Um, and I, I think that's kind of like you roll the dice and you get to the last day of the competition and things don't always go your way, but um, you know, like moving forward next year, I've told myself like, last day I'm not even going to be in the position of like oh I might qualify like I'm going to qualify for the games or die trying this next year so if I do get to the last day of the competition and don't have like such a great final event like hopefully I'll have a good enough cushion of points that it doesn't matter so so that kind of leads me to the final set of questions and that is what did you learn about yourself most in this week um honestly I just learned that being outside of my comfort zone is terrifying but in the best possible way um again like I had never done an individual competition before so standing out there on the floor when it's literally just you is um an experience and I again like I'm newer to the CrossFit space I knew one girl out of 60 before I got there um and it just happened to be that she trained with me a few times in Santa Barbara um And so being out there, not really knowing anyone, um, you know, whereas these girls, there's some girls there that have been going to semifinals for, you know, like five, six, seven years in a row. Um, 
So it was terrifying, but I learned that I can do it and I am good for so much more. Um, and, you know, going through this next season, I'm so excited just to have a plan and to plan to get to the games because this this past season was kind of just like I fell into it and, you know, I, I took whatever I got and I did as much as I could. Um, but now that I have like a whole year to plan to get to the games, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm um, again, like I will qualify for the games or I will die trying. So I'm really excited to put the work in. So you said you, you showed up there, you knew one person, mm-hmm. um, and you have this video on your Instagram that's making the, the rounds of the podcast circuit. Um, Savannah has said it's like mm-hmm. the piece of content to come out from semi semifinals, even better than anything CrossFit has produced. And so I'm going to play it. Um, a lot of people probably have seen it, but it is this one. Right. And it just, it tells a story and can, what is your story from this, this moment? So I had noticed Katrin was, um, standing by my lane in event six when I was trying to get my last rope climb. Um, and I, I got the first rope climb after the certain stand pushups. And then the second one, unfortunately I did all the work and got my hands above the red line and then just couldn't hold on for that legless descent at the end. And I tried, you know, like three, four or five times, however many times I tried and just couldn't get it. And then the buzzer went off and, um, Catherine was, you know, like standing right there waiting for me when the buzzer went off and she, was just so kind. Um, and I think, I think she definitely probably thought that I was going to be pretty upset, but, um, you know, I wasn't, I was honestly, I was pumped. Um, and so to share that moment with her, because, um, she had kind of told me, she was like, I've been in the exact same situation as you a couple regionals back. Um, and I, I mean, I read the Ben Bergeron book that talks about it and it said like, you know, that was one of the best things that's ever happened to her. And I definitely think, that that event could, you know, be one of the best things that's ever happened to me too. Cause even though it didn't, um, you know, like it didn't bring me to my knees and I wasn't like devastated about it. It's definitely not something that I would continue, um, to do in, um, a semifinals workout. So she just, she was there for me and it was really cool because, you know, like I think when I first started CrossFit was the year that she won for the first time. And, and I thought that was like, so cool that um someone like her was absolutely just crushing it and um i remember watching the second year that she won thinking like oh my gosh she is like the coolest person in the whole entire world like i want to grow up and be like that because i was still pretty young um at that time trying to figure out what i wanted to do and so to have her waiting for me um after what i'm sure everyone thought was like you know like the lowest moment of the weekend um was a really cool experience yeah, and Alyssa's asking how tall you are. You said five nine earlier in five the show. Nine. I think she's yep. a bit late. So, gosh, I'm going to end it on this. Um, I'm having Cooper Marsh on the show on Thursday. I saw that Love you signed. Coop. Yeah, you signed with Lab Management. I did. Um, did that happen after semis? It did. Yeah, he um, he actually had known a couple of my mutual friends um, and a couple of other agents, you know, like try to reach out to me during the semifinals week. Um, and, um, a little bit after that, but I, I talked to Cooper probably two, maybe like a week and a half, two weeks after semifinals and, and just got, you know, like the best, um, vibes from him. And like, he just asked me all about my story and like what I'm about and, 
you know, like my goals and what I want to do moving forward and, and our, our values aligned really well. And, and he and Daniel um, were just so kind and, and made me feel like family. And so, yeah, I, I signed with them and it's been great. Cooper's the best in the business, right? Yeah, I, for guy. sure. And the one that what I would say he is best at is spotting talent. So that has to give you a sense that not only is your belief in yourself going up, I'm assuming after this weekend, but other 100%. people are believing in you as well. Yeah, that's that's an incredible thing. Cause like I think, you know, I got a lot out of semifinals as an experience, but the the main thing, the main takeaway was like I can hang in the last heat. Like I I deserve to be there, like I belong there and I will work you know, day in and day out, um, for the next year to get back there. And, um, just to see, like, it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't just, um, you know, luck of the draw or like the events that were, um, that made up this semifinal, like it was, there was no luck about it. Like I worked so hard and, and to see that, you know, like other people realize like, okay, she can hang, she could be there, she can do it. Um, it's such a cool thing because, um, I won't lie. I mean, I think CrossFit um, lends itself to some high highs and some low lows. And um, and sometimes it's hard to, you know, always have that like blinding, like uh, belief in yourself. And so when other people like, like Cooper and my coaches at Carhu and, and people like Chase um, who have just been around CrossFit for so long to say like, no, like you have it, like whether you see it or not, whether you believe it or not, like you have it and you can get there. Um, it just takes like you wanting it more than anything. And which is, I have that for sure. Like I lay in bed at night, like not sleeping, thinking about how I can do better at ring muscle up. So like, it's just, it's, it's this belief that, um, I can, I can make it next year. And like, I not even next year, like I can have like a great career in CrossFit knowing that other people think that about me as well, like means the world to me. So last question, you're, you're now known as a power output athlete, right? You, you win the power output events. Right. You quickly improved from semis or from quarters to semis in some of the engine stuff. So I'm assuming the next year is building that engine stuff. 100%. And do you have the confidence that you can do it because of how fast you've improved in the two months between the two events? Um, yeah, I know without a doubt, I'm exactly where I need to be right now. Um, Carhu is, you know, like the best place for me. One of our owners, uh, Jess Estrada is on CrossFit gymnastics seminar course. Um, so she's on their, um, on their staff and she, um, has already worked with me on, on some gymnastics things. And Andy, my coach, um, you know, was, was always known to have like a great engine and things like that. So like, I have all the puzzle pieces, um, that I need to basically patch some of those holes so that next year, um, I'll still have like, you know, high highs on that power output scale. Um, but my loads and like the gymnastics and, and engine and other things like that aren't going to be so low. And, and that's all you really have to do to make it. Um, so yeah, I have, 100% confidence in where I am and my coaches, the people around me and my environment that I will be able to improve tenfold from the athlete that I am right now. Well, I want to thank you so much for jumping on. I thank you for having me. I'm watching you. I only got about through half of my notes. <laughs> so, hey, maybe we'll have to do a second one. 
after the games in the off season, when we, when you have a little bit of time, we'll have you back on. Cause I want to dive into your faith. I want to dive 100%. in. I would love to talk about it. Plays with your mind as an athlete. Um, right. Dive into those two things too. Um, but with that said, this was a great episode. Thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And everybody in the chat, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we love you all. We'll see everybody next time on. Sure, we will. We'll see everybody next time on the Clydesdale Media Podcast. C4 Energy, Extend, and Cellucor are delivering the most effective, best tasting, and highest quality products for you. Get 20% off when you use the code Clydesdale at checkout at C, the number four energy.com. That's C4Energy.com. And now back to the interview.